Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and it's day two of Big Ten Awards coming out. A little bit more explosive, but also a little bit more interesting on the offensive side. Obviously, I think the entire starting 11 for the most part, made one one team or another from first team through honorable mention for Ohio State. Not necessarily the same thing can be said on offense, but I guess let's start with the awards first. Nathan, is there any shock that Marvin Harrison Jr., who was the preseason in our poll, because the Big Ten does not do one, so in the Cleveland.com Big Ten preseason poll, Marvin Harrison Jr. was the runaway Big Ten preseason Offensive player of the year. Any shock that after the way this year played off, he also won that award and the wide receiver award? No, not really surprised. And especially because I don't know if there was any other great candidates. I thought maybe J.J. McCarthy would get some support just because it's, you know, like a lot of things, quarterbacks get a an, an extra boost in these things. I think the fact that Michigan won its biggest game before the Ohio State game by telling him to basically just be like a little bookshelf that somebody comes and takes the hand, the ball from probably didn't help him win awards this year. So, um, but no, I mean, Marvin, I, I don't know who was more deserving. Um, this is only the third time a receiver has won the award. One was, um, Braylon Edwards. And I can't remember the year that that was, I wrote it in the story that we had. So whenever he played and then Desmond Howard back in 91 year, he won the Heisman. Those are the only two receivers who had won this award previously. So in that, way it's somewhat of a surprise that obviously makes him the first Ohio State receiver to win it of the I think 12 who have won it some of them have 12 times an Ohio State player has won the award some of them winning it more than once in fact several of them winning it more than once Um, this keeps the progression going it's six years in a row now that Ohio State's had the offensive player of the year in the conference but it's the first time that that focus has switched from the quarterbacks because the last three were Haskins, Fields, and Stroud combining for five straight into the receiver room. And I think that's an interesting transition. And it may be temporary, but it does kind of highlight that Harrison came in in 21 as, you know, the second highest rated receiver 
prospect in that class. And it looked like, okay, he's just another guy in the mix of this thing. Yeah, they bring in two, three really good receivers every year. And by the time he's done here, he's kind of redefined, as we talked about on that pod a few weeks ago, what it means to be an Ohio State receiver. And he's the, he's, he was number one on our Rushmore. He was number one on the Texters Rushmore, Buckmore, I should say. And I don't know if people would vote differently now that he finishes a career potentially and hasn't beat Michigan, but it, I think he would still be number one on my list. And that's an interesting, um, to, to be, to go from just being kind of in the lineage to being now a new standard for what you do as an Ohio state receiver. I'm interested what happens with these guys who follow him that do, is this what people are reaching for? Or in the past it was, Oh, can you get a thousand yard season? Well, now it's going to be like, well, I'm going to be the first guy to get three because Marvin's already done two and that's already been done. So let's go get three. Like it's going to raise, I think the, the stakes to like some, some really, really lofty levels um, to be, to that, to now surpass what Marvin Harrison Jr. Did in his Ohio state receiving career is going to take a heck of a heck of a career. Everything has a peak, right? We've done this in the past when we've done the Buckmore is the, who's the, in this long line of cornerbacks, who's the best one? In this long line of defensive ends, who's the best one? Marvin might just be the peak, but that doesn't mean there won't be, won't be other people who are flirting around that with what's coming down the pipeline here. Marvin might not be done snagging awards here very soon. I, we don't know about him getting to New York at this point. That You lose to Michigan and you're not a quarterback. That's a hard needle to thread there, so we'll see what happens there. But he is up for the bullet. The cough award, once again as a finalist, along with LSU, is Malik Neighbors and Washington's Rome. I don't say I vote in that. I'm just going to tell you guys now because I don't think they have the same rules as the Heisman. Shocker, first of all, Stephen votes for the wide receiver award, but I voted for Marvin Harrison, number one. He finished second last year to Tennessee's wide receiver, who's now the Giants, whose name is escaping me right now for whatever reason. Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt, that's his name. Yeah, Jalen Hyatt, that's his name. But there's that one. Andrew, another award for Ohio State was Cade Stover which as we've talked about, I mean, 41 catches, 576 yards, five touchdowns. This is a guy who came in as a linebacker. And as of two years ago, was playing linebacker in the Rose Bowl for Ohio State. And now he had turned into probably Ohio State's second most consistent weapon this year. This has never happened before in Ohio State's history. How big of a deal is it to have a tight end win an award like this? Well, I think it's a big deal. Um, you know, I think it has to matter a lot because you you talked about the consistency there and going into the year, what did we talk about? You know, hey, how much can you get realistically out of Cade Stover? How much do you want to get out of Cade Stover? Because you have a Mecca and you have all of these great receivers. And I think having him kind of prove, I mean, not just in a Big Ten level, at a national level. I mean, he's a final for the Mac, finalist for the Mackey Award with Brock Bowers and Dallin Hook, uh, Holker. Hooker? Holker? whatever his name is from Colorado state. But, um, you know, he's, he kind of did this at, at a level where people nationally took notice too. So yeah, getting, getting that kind of consistency was big, I think for Ohio state. And I think it matters to have a tight end in this offense and it matters to have a tight end moving forward in this offense. You can say, Hey, look, this is what you can do. If you are this reliable kind of option, if you are this reliable safety valve and this reliable target, I mean, there were a couple of plays against Michigan. There were a couple of plays throughout the course of the year where you thought, you know, better place ball. He might've had a touchdown here. He might've had a big gain here. There were just some plays that he made throughout the year that didn't end up in a catch that you thought he could have. So it could have been a better statistical year, but yeah, I mean, it just every week Stover was kind of the, 
embodiment of of steadiness, the embodiment of consistency. So yeah, I, I mean, not a surprise for me. He was, I mean, he was just really good all year and and consistently so. He's probably not going to win the Mackey Award, though. That's probably no. going to be Brock Bowers. It's just, just that's been Brock Bowers all year, basically. Kudos to Keenan Bailey as well. First year assistant coach and his top player wins an award in that situation. Okay, let's get into the offense part of this. The rest of the first teamers, Travion Henderson, Donovan Jackson, Josh Fryer. Second team, Matt Jones is the only one. Third team, Ameka Buka, Kyle McCord. And that's it. Let's save the quarterback part of this for second. Nathan, this is weird. We're used to the offense just being littered all over the place on the all Big Ten list every single year. And that's not necessary. Like the fact that there's no honorable mention people even maybe more emphasizes how much of a step back maybe this offense took as a whole. And some of that is because some guys got injured along the way, like Emeka Abuka, Travion Interson, who I thought the fact that he still made first team while missing a good chunk of the season was a highlight to how good he was in the second half of the season, even outside of the Michigan game. But does the fact that there's so little people on here kind of reflect what we saw this year from the offense? It it does to some extent. Now, obviously, they still have the receiver of the year. They still have tight end of the year. There's still some some big peaks on offense. You're still getting you know first team skill position players, uh, and you still have two first team offensive linemen, which will be a thing I guess we'll come back to in a second. It, it says it does say something though. Um, I, we're used to all five offensive linemen being no worse than third team Big Ten, right? Like that's a standard that we've had forever. Now you've got two guys who don't make it at all. Um, you uh, are probably used to all three receivers a lot of times, uh, certainly in the past couple of years, being able to make a team. That didn't happen this year. And this year it wasn't because Julian Fleming was hurt. It was just what his role was uh, production-wise didn't really stack up to, I guess, what, what other receivers in the Big Ten were. Um, so, yeah, I think what it does to me is, especially in terms of the offensive line, it highlights the deficiency that we saw coming a couple of years ago. That this just was not, there were just not enough layers of talent in that offensive line room to, um, to make up for what they lost last year, and it's an indication of what has to happen in this offseason, which is significant skill development and strength development in that unit between now and next August, and it also over the next month means they've got to be active in the portal to find more offensive linemen to find better offensive linemen. I just don't, I, I'm it. I don't know what how else you would say it. It wasn't a it was not a championship offensive line this year. They did, I think, the best they could, the individual players probably, to get as far as they could. I don't know if there's any indication that that wasn't true, but that wasn't ever really the the point. The point was what had been assembled relative to what it takes to win at the very top level of college football. And if you've got two guys who can't make any team a first of, of all Big Ten, and injuries isn't a issue it it's indic it's indicative of something it's indicative of a a drop-off and a a lapse in responsibility by the coaching staff frankly and not so much just Justin Fry and what he's had to try to do in the past two years though that is a part of it but it goes back much farther than that and it's a lot of things keep coming back to me to be like well how much did Ryan Day like, how much time does he have to oversee that if he's doing all these other things? Like, it's, I don't know, a lot of things keep coming back to me to be like, maybe this is where the lack of a CEO approach shows up the most for Ohio State. 
I don't know if I agree with who made what team. I think <laughs> we always say this, take the PFF grades with a grain of salt. Josh Fryer, 76.4, was Ohio State's highest graded offensive lineman this year. I think that's why he's first team. I think Donovan yes. Jackson being a five-star recruit and the name recognition there as a second-year starter is why he made the first team. I thought Matthew well, Jones was their best offensive lineman all year and probably should have been first team over both of those two guys. I was going to say, the, the, the two, as someone who has voted in things like this before, I'll tell you, the two biggest offensive line deciders as to who makes these teams a lot of times is the PFF grades, because mm-hmm. none of us analyze offensive except like Bill Landis, I guess. <laughs> nobody, I say that so derisively. I mean, I have nothing but love for Bill. Um, but nobody else really breaks down offensive line film across the conference that way, right? And B, um, the other thing being just like preseason NFL draft buzz and that sort of thing. And Donovan Jackson mm-hmm. was probably showing up on those lists because, and now just to have to vote for five offensive linemen, I'll tell you what's, I mean, when you have to, st- it's actually a little bit easier almost when you have to vote for um, like all, like all America teams, because even if you're voting for five on a first team, five on a second team, if you go look at like the most updated NFL draft boards, there's probably 10 offensive linemen in the first round, right? Or there's mm-hmm. enough guys out there who have, you know, been, um, consent, you know, uh, unanimous picks for their power five conferences or whatever. Like it can be easier to fill those out when it's all big 10 and maybe it's a little bit of a down year for offensive linemen in the league, which I think it kind of might be. I don't think there's a lot of, of guys, um, stacking up into the first round in part because Ohio state didn't really help in that endeavor. Then I don't know. That's how, you know, I think you're right. I think Josh Fryer gets the boost from the PFF grade. I think, Donovan Jackson gets the boost from the the hype grade, the 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 uh, biography grade, biography boost. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard, Andrew, with offensive linemen because they don't have tangible stats that you can just look at. And to Nathan's point, nobody's. We just. I almost take the coaches and what they say sometimes as more especially with offensive linemen over the media because everybody can see if a wide receiver is being awesome or a quarterback or a running back or even a tight end in the right offense is being awesome with offensive line especially on the interior if you don't see them if you don't notice them they're typically doing their job yeah that's that's the rub right you know three the as selected by the coaches three michigan players made it three michigan players made first team all big 10 and I think that that matters. I think if you would ask me, you know, oh, who's going to be for, like, if you had to pick for one first team offensive lineman for Ohio State, I would have also taken Matt Jones. Josh Fryer would not have been first team or probably second team for me. I just think, you know, offensive line is really hard to evaluate when it comes to, like you said, because there's no stats. It's really hard to evaluate how you're going to look at these guys because do you look at sacks? Because sacks are not always an offensive line stat, right? You know, you could have a quarterback that has no idea what he's doing and he's hanging on to the ball for forever. Or, you know, a quarterback like somebody's trying to be Caleb Williams and they're running around and they take a sack and, hey, that looks bad on the offensive line, but also the quarterback had five and a half seconds to throw the ball. Do you look at the run game? How, how do you evaluate that? And, and that, is the, that is the hard part when it comes to offensive line evaluation. There are certain things... 
you know, hand placement, foot drive, punch. You can look at all of those different things as you talk about an offensive lineman, but those are in the weeds things because like you said, there's not a stat like that where, hey, look, Marvin Harrison Jr. is great with his footwork and he's great with pretty much everything, hand-eye coordination, and there's a stat to back that up. When an offensive lineman does his job, you never like that's the that's the problem with this. When an offensive lineman does his job, you never know who they are unless they're like a first round level talent, right? It's kind of like a long snapper in football. You don't want to look at the offensive line and say, "Oh, those guys." Like you want to just say, "Yeah, the offensive line's really good," and just kind of have a couple of guys that you know are good, and then hey, maybe you got a first round pick on your line, and then that's it. So it, it's hard. I I was a bit surprised to see Ohio State have a couple of guys kind of high up on this list. So let's talk McCord. Didn't make a team. He was third team this year. JJ McCarthy was the quarterback of the year, made first team. Uh, Maryland's Talia Tungavailoa was second team. First of all, Nathan, do you agree with that order in terms of who were the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten this year? JJ one, Talia two, Kyle McCord three. In that order, no. McCarthy had to be number one. McCarthy, McCarthy was the quarterback of the year. That, there's no question about that. Mc, I think McCord's better than Talia Tagovailoa. I think the numbers say he's better than Talia Tagovailoa. I think the performance says he was better than Talia Tagovailoa. If people think that Kyle McCord got a little loose with it at times, man, go, go watch Talia Tagovailoa play football sometimes. I guess it's been the hallmark of his career in a way that it just it isn't for, for Kyle McCord yet. Or, or maybe never will be. Um, I think some of that is, I don't know, I guess maybe he runs it a little more, but that's never actually been something that is a, a, a true, real strength of Talia Tagovailoa's game, like on a consistent basis. It's more like he picks his spots. I just, from a passing standpoint, I don't think there was any comparison that Kyle McCord was better. You can go look at yards per attempt. You can go look at quarterback efficiency rating. I guess in, in yeah, I think in completion percentage, they were pretty close, but the others, big gap. So I would have put Kyle McCord second. But I know that that's not what Ohio State fans actually even care about. I think they just, you know, it had been quarterback of the year had been a hallmark of this program for ever since 2015, right? So to lose that, to so, have that for almost yeah, a decade. If you good going back to 2013, it's Braxton Miller. Braxton Miller gets it in 2013. JT Barrett gets it in 2014. In 2015, Connor Cook got it, but that's because Ohio State was going back and forth between JT Barrett and Cardell Jones, and they just settled it on one, and Michigan State doesn't beat Ohio State. Probably one of them wins it again. 16, Barrett. 17, Barrett. 18, Haskins. 19, Justin Fields. 20, Justin Fields. CJ Stroud the last two years, and now obviously that comes to an end here. But I, just that idea of Ohio State has clearly had the best quarterback in this conference, both in how you view them as players, but then in also their production for almost a decade now. And that comes to an end here. What does that mean, Nathan? Is it something that is, uh, should it be alarming? Should we go all the way that far with it? Or is it just a product of the Big Ten and their floor and their ceiling around Ohio State has gotten better at terms of quarterback play? Well, no, I, I don't think it's necessarily that because, um, listen, Ryan Day had a choice between these two quarterbacks. I think, and I'm not the first person to bring this up, obviously. It's been a topic of conversation since the start of that week. Um, I think it kind of only now gets brought up in terms of, well, he must have picked the wrong one. 
Now, there's, it, it's a little bit more complicated than that. One's his second year as a starter. One's his first year as a starter. You've got the rest of a team that has to execute as well. Uh, the other thing, though, that doesn't ever get talked about is you pick a quarterback and then you develop the quarterback. And this is who Ryan Day picked, and this is who Ryan Day and the people around him then tried to develop into the quarterback that would be the best in the Big Ten and been beat Michigan. And Michigan just did a better job of all of those things. So I don't think it's all just on like Kyle McCord being defective. It's a, there's a whole process here that uh, Michigan won on this year. So that isn't just a fluke thing necessarily. It's it and it's but it's not necessarily yet Big Ten wide. I think if I mean if you were even putting in the other conf, the other the other quarterbacks, I guess you know if Michael Penix had the year he's having at Washington in the Big Ten. He probably would have won this award this year. Um, then you start talking about would Kyle McCord have been in the top five? Because then you got Bo Nix, then you've got Caleb Williams, then you got JJ McCarthy. Like then it starts to get that's that's the future we're looking at. So that future hasn't arrived yet. This is more about this year and what happened this year with with one specific decision. Because there were still, again, in my opinion, there was McCarthy at the top, and then there was McCord. And then there was everybody else, and Tagovailoa was just the best of everybody else. Statistically, go look at the numbers. So that is a very specific dynamic. What I think Ohio State and Ryan Day have to be more concerned about is what is coming. Now, even though Michael Penix has gone mm -hmm. after this year, Caleb Williams has gone after this year, Bo Nix has gone after this year, that's still three programs that have proven what they can um, – what they can develop at quarterback. You can even throw UCLA and Chip Kelly in there. Like they obviously know what they're doing with quarterbacks from time to time. So like there is an influx coming in that threatens the dominance Ohio state has had at this position where it used to be Ohio state's quarterback was like out here on a Island and everybody else was trying to do frankly, what Colin McCord did this year. Can we have, like the guy who's not that good, but the guy who's like the next best, and we can take our best shot with it. The the situation just reversed this year. That was Ohio State this year. Instead of being the clear winner, Ohio State was number two, again, in my opinion, number three to the, the coaches and media, I suppose. And then everybody else kind of fell in after that. And really, you can look across the conference this year, quarterback play wasn't that good, I don't think. I mean, to have, you know, McCord and Tagovailoa being second and third – once you get down to Tagovailoa's level, and then you start looking at how many teams this year had just very pedestrian quarterback performances, you lost a lot of talent really out of this conference last year. They're trying to, I guess, it's there's some turnover happening. It would actually almost be nice if those Pac-12 teams were already in the Big Ten. They would have elevated the level of quarterback play in the conference this year. And then next year, you know, what does Kyle McCord and what does this whole quarterback room, and by which I mean – it's also Ryan Day. It's also Corey Dennis. It's also everybody else they have in that apparatus. What are they doing between now and the start of, of August next year to get this quarterback room back up to another level? Because uh, it clearly has slipped, and you clearly saw some of the ramifications of that. Not that it was all on quarterback play, but it, we, as we've already talked about, you can project this roster to next year and see that there's going to be other regressions. Quarterback play has to be even a bigger strength next year. Drew Aller not being all that, that hurt this it. year. 100%. Was, yeah, because that should have been – like all three of those teams have five-star quarterbacks, and one of them was just not at the level of even four-star performance. Yeah, that's probably so the that best hurts. example. 
that's probably the best example of where like some some points got left on the table, so to speak, point left on the field. But I would also yeah. say, like we looked at this, we looked at Ohio State schedule before the year. I wrote a piece that was like, is Ohio State actually going to have the best quarterback in every game it plays this year? And I would actually argue that it did, except in one. And mm-hmm. but part of it was we broke it into tiers, and we looked at like all these quarterbacks who were transferring into the Big Ten West, like Hudson Card and the. Um, the guy at Wisconsin who got hurt before Ohio State played him, Mordecai. Kind of Mordecai. Like, oh, yeah, like, Mordecai. Yeah, like, yeah, and and like there were a couple of them where we were like, you know, like these guys might have a little something. Like Hudson Card had actually played pretty well at, at Texas at times, and until he got you know mm-hmm. pushed aside by um, Captain Kambuka, and we were like, that could be something. Like you put him like a new coach, he's bringing in his new offensive coordinator, maybe something. And they were just there was nothing. Like he was he was bad. Like a lot of those guys were bad, so that was another thing that I think we thought that there was there was this infusion of of quarterback talent maybe coming in from the outside to replenish what they had lost last year. It just never materialized. Actually, Doug made a a, a joke I saw on Twitter the other day. Not a joke, just pointed out this funny thing that there was only one Big Ten West team that didn't start a transfer quarterback this year, and it was uh, Aiken Kalikmanis from Minnesota. He is now in the transfer portal. So it's like the the Big Ten <laughs> the Big Ten uh, musical chairs of quarterback play is going to continue the Big Ten West anyway, and as all those teams just sort of now filter down probably to the bottom third of the most of them bottom third of the conference. Shout out to Captain Kambuka. We'll talk more about <laughs> Captain Kambuka in the second part of this pod is when we get in the playoff talk. One uh, to the points you're talking about, Nathan, and if the rule if the Big Ten was six months from now and it was the exact same teams you almost have a com- conversation about who were the top five quarterbacks in this conference and it's right. like a healthy conversation and the conversation we had at the beginning of the year does ohio state have the best quarterback in every game it plays well how many games this year did it have to have the best qu- it did now granted but how many games does it have to that number of games that it's going to potentially have to have the better quarterback on that saturday is going to rise which andrew this is the question i want you to answer about this does Ohio State, assuming that J.J. McCarthy potentially goes pro here because he's eligible and there, he might be playing his way into the first round here. Does Ohio State for sure have the best returning quarterback in the Big Ten? So that would be McCord at Ohio State. Like if McCord, but like it, that's hard to say. I, I, I think you have to say yes. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, what did Dante Moore and the UCLA guys show you this year? Not, not a lot. Yeah. Caleb Williams gone. Michael Penix gone. Mm-hmm. Bo Nix gone. Talia gone. McCarthy gone. Uh, so who's who, like who's second? Drew Aller. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's. I, I guess going into the year, you can say Drew Aller, and then I mean, it could end up being any number of guys like you know what if like Austin Novosad or whoever the backup is at Oregon turns out to be a stud like it could be somebody that you're just not aware of so I think Ohio State does have the best returning quarterback in the Big Ten when you're talking about it from a preseason standpoint I think this Mm -hmm. was the same argument that we made actually in July when we did some of these podcasts or August when we did some of these podcasts where we said McCarthy's the best quarterback in the Big Ten now Will he be in November? And I think we all said yes and then no. 
to McCarthy will not be the best quarterback in the Big Ten come November, and he just kept it. Um, Ohio State doesn't need to have the best quarterback in the Big Ten every year. You got to be in that conversation. Like, think about how awesome C.J. Stroud was. Think about how just uh, just how just think about how great he was at Ohio State. If the Big Ten had expanded starting in 2022, C.J. Stroud doesn't win Big Ten quarterback of the year like Caleb Williams does. So Caleb Williams would have been Big Ten quarterback of the year. Caleb Williams won the Heisman that year. Like, mm. you don't have to have the best quarterback in the Big Ten because sometimes a dude for USC throws 42 touchdowns for five interceptions and for 4,500 yards, and he's just awesome. And that's fine. It doesn't make C.J. Stroud any less awesome. It just means dudes can ball out. So you don't have to have the best, but to 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 the to the point earlier, like, you, you don't have to have the best. You just got to be in the conversation for the best because those you're adding more teams. You're adding bigger brands, bigger everything. You don't have to beat out a Caleb Williams type. You don't have to be better than a guy who might like the two of the favorites right now, Michael Penix and Bo Nix. They're the Heisman favorites right now. You don't have to every year have a guy who needs to win the Heisman or else. Oh no, you just got to be in that conversation. So I think it's a fair question to say, you know, where's the line? Where's, you know, how far can it drop? But Ohio State will probably feel better about its quarterback position than a lot of other teams will going into 2024. It's similar to a conversation we've had in the past about, well, the 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 the, the defense needs to get some All-Americans again. It's like, well, actually getting voted an All-American is yeah. hard, actually. But, but you got to just have an All-American type season. And I know that there's probably Ohio State fans yeah. who are hearing us talk about what would have potentially happened in the Big Ten this year and where Common Accord would have ranked as and, and, and are troubled by that. And I get it because, again, you're just used to that standard. But recognize that that is also something of an uncommon glut of talent, quarterback talent at all those places. Right. It's not like Washington always has a Heisman Trophy <laughs> finalist quarterback. Even USC and Oregon don't do it every year. And it just so happens that. All those that cluster of teams happen to have those seasons all together, and they're all leaving. So the door is definitely open. I think the bigger issue is if we're sitting here a month, a year from now, talking about was Kyle McCord one of the five or six best quarterbacks in the Big Ten, or whoever Ohio State starter is next year, assuming he just keeps that job, then I think it's a problem for Ohio State. Yeah, this is probably just like a is Malachi Nelson going to be good? conversation in a way that like changes the variable here as far as the Caleb Williams Heisman thing I don't know if Caleb Williams Heisman if USC's in the Big Ten because Alex Grinch was still their defensive coordinator so they might have lost a few more games in a way that wouldn't have even gotten him to New York no Alex Grinch is good right everything was fine and nothing was the matter they kept him for a majority of the year so it couldn't have been that bad so we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we're going to get into some college football talk, college football playoff talk, Ohio State officially number six in the rankings, and just mapping out what, it would, ha- what would have to happen for Ohio State to backdoor its win to the college football playoff for a second straight year, and more on that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Back here on Buckeye Talk, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and we're talking Ohio State's road to potentially backdoor its way into the college football playoff for a second straight year. Last year, they needed USC to lose to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. And then, thanks to Alex Grinch, speaking of, that played itself out and Ohio State was able to backdoor its way in. And then it basically changed the way we view the season, Nathan, because they lost to Michigan for a second straight year after being 11 and 0 the first couple of weeks. And quite frankly, the fan base felt how it felt right now. And then they went out there and put up the best possible fight and came within an unreasonable 50 yard field goal. Oh, I feel like I'm talking in circles right now this week about things, but uh, it came down to that, and so people maybe went into the offseason with a little more optimism than you would have went into the offseason with had USC not lost to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. It's not that simple this time around, Nathan. It's just, what does it look like this weekend? What has to happen on Friday and Saturday as these teams plan their conference championship games for a team right now who is ranked six, so that's behind, Oregon at number five, Florida State at number four, Washington at number three, Michigan at number two, and Georgia at number one. What should fans be paying attention to this weekend and what needs to happen for this to even be possible? Well, it's about four things that have to happen. It's, it's as you said, last year, by the time Ohio State played Michigan, I think last year, it was going on at the same time. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Or was it played on Friday night? But Clemson lost to South Carolina last year on, in its last game to, mm-hmm. to take itself out of contention for that final playoff spot. And then it really did become USC Utah and frankly I think Utah was favored in that game so even by the time that game kicked off it was like the most likely outcome that USC was going to lose that game this year there's going to have to be some upsets it's just going to be a lot more complicated so I'll start at the top right now Georgia's number one I think the most secure path for Ohio State is if Georgia beats Alabama because the SEC then gets its team in but it isn't a chance that it takes up two spots and it isn't a chance that Alabama jumps over Ohio state. Alabama's number eight right now because they have to stay behind Texas because Texas still has that head to head win. But if Alabama beats Georgia, 
who knows what happens. I think if Georgia beats Alabama, it's just much mm. cleaner. They just get to stay number one, or maybe they fall to, although they'll stay number one now because if they weren't going to move Michigan up to number one after beating Ohio State, they're not going to do it after they beat Olentangy Orange's offense or whatever Ohio was, Iowa's running out there. Um, then if Louisville upsets Florida State, because right now the committee put Florida State at number four, they're still undefeated. It really seems like the committee, if if Florida State beats Louisville, Louisville's like a top, I don't remember what they are in the new rankings, but like top 12-ish team, I number think. Number 14. 15, yeah, because they dropped. They dropped after losing to Kentucky, right? But I mean, that's that's still a quality enough win on a neutral field that the committee's going to put an undefeated Florida State in, I think. But if Louisville upsets them, Louisville's already got two losses. They're not going to go in, and they're not going to put a one-loss Florida State in that doesn't have Jordan Travis. I don't think there's any chance. If, if you give them an excuse mm-hmm. not to put this Florida State team in, they won't. Because, and Boo Corrigan even said it the other night uh, to a question from ESPN's Heather Denich, said, you know, what's you, you talking about the assessment of Florida State, and he said, well, they're clearly a different team. Like, they are not ignoring the fact that this is a different team than it when it had Jordan Travis. Louisville upsets Florida State. That takes the entire ACC out of this. Oklahoma State upsets Texas in the Big 12 championship game because if Texas wins, they'll have one loss. Any one loss Power 5 champion is getting in over Ohio State. There's no way Ohio State right now at number six, even if it's ahead of Texas and Alabama, also moves up without those teams jumping them, I don't think. I would be surprised. I think if, if you ask the committee that if Texas or Alabama now gets another big Power 5 win against a a, a ranked team, that's probably going to jump Ohio State. On top of that, even if it was a tiebreaker for them, the tiebreaker a lot of times is going to go to the conference champion. But if Oklahoma State wins, now you're giving Texas a second loss, Oklahoma State's farther behind, that takes the Big 12 out of it. And then I think the last one is Washington beating Oregon. And this is one that got a little bit more complicated by the results, by the poll on Tuesday. Uh, the rankings, I should say, uh, although it basically is a poll. It's just 12 people in a room. I thought, and I even predicted it when when I saw the AP poll come out on Saturday, I said, I bet Ohio State falls at least to number six. And we got some pushback from Texas. Like, why wouldn't they be number five? Well, shouldn't they still be ahead of Oregon? And I was like, yes, they should. I would put them ahead of Oregon. But this committee has all along pretty much ignored the fact that Oregon has played nobody except the one team that beat them. They did also beat Utah, but then Utah Utah dropped out of the rankings. Now they finally got Mm -hmm. another ranked win back by beating Oregon State, which is, like, fine. I'm not sure that a win over Oregon State is more impressive than a one-touchdown loss with the ball in your hands on the road at the number two team in the country, but I digress. So they put Oregon at number five, and now that means if Oregon upsets Washington, well, not only is Oregon going to stay ahead of Ohio State, there's a chance that Washington doesn't even fall all the way back because now how much are you penalizing the Pac-12 team that had to play an extra game and was already ranked ahead of Ohio State for losing a game that Ohio State didn't have to play, if that makes sense. So if those things happen, then you would have, I think, Georgia number one, still beating Alabama, Michigan number two, obliterating Iowa, Washington number three, beating Oregon, and then the door is wide open for Ohio State to be the four. There's other ways it could happen, I suppose, since Texas and Alabama are below them. If only one of those teams were to win, I suppose even if both of them won, could the committee decide that Ohio State should go in at four ahead of them? Maybe. But I think that's pretty precarious. I think that's not something I would bank on. Because that if it, if it looks like a tiebreaker at all, then it's going to go to the conference champion. And if both of those teams win, 
I think it's just going to, the optics of leaving them both out would be tough. So I think that's the, that's the best route is if Florida state loses, Georgia beats Alabama, Oklahoma state beats Texas. That opens the door for Ohio state to just as last year, kind of get pulled up to that number four spot. Iowa and Michigan, by the way, is the, it's funny, like the big 12 championship game being the one that has absolutely no effect to this because Michigan's just going to win. But if Iowa were to upset Michigan, then I think that means that either neither team gets in or they give Michigan the TCU benefit of the doubt. Michigan would like only fall to four. So I've started to wonder if the, I mean, we think the Oregon thing is because they, they think Oregon's better than Washington. They just can't put Oregon up ahead of Washington because they lost that game. I, I also think it's just the Pac-12 getting a spot this year, regardless of who wins that game. Whether it's Washington or Oregon, one of them is for sure going to get that spot. I think that more emphasizes and has nothing to do with Ohio State's chances. But the rest of that pretty much checks out. That I think that Florida State loses, Texas, as you just pointed out, Florida State loses, Alabama loses, Texas loses. I think Ohio State's getting into the college football playoff, which it's a lot of things that need to happen. It's almost like a parlay, man. You need all these things to happen to win. But it, it, I mean, it's yeah, simple, but it can be very complicated very quickly because I guess I don't know which one of those is most likely to, to happen right now. Maybe well, Georgia beating so, Alabama, but well, Georgia, Alabama's been playing better. Go ahead, Andrew. Well, I was going to say, so I pulled up the betting odds as, as you guys were talking about this just to, to give you guys kind of a, you know, a look at where Vegas is sitting on this. Uh, the Oregon-Washington game, I'm with Steven. I don't think this one matters for Ohio State. I think that either, t- like, I think if Oregon wins, they're in the playoff. If Washington wins, they're in the playoff. And I think the loser would fall behind Ohio State. Um, but for whatever, the, maybe, whatever that's worth. Maybe, uh, maybe. But that's not how they're I, ranked right now. Well, and I think it's, sure. it's, it's, it's more direct. It's more direct if Washington just wins and, and stays where it is. Agreed. Then you don't have agreed. to worry about it. Is, but around. So that's, quick that's question, the reason I put and I know it. Yeah. Quick, quick. I know it's a week by week thing, Nathan, but the habits of the committee tell us a little bit sometimes. And the fact that Washington has consistently been behind Ohio State up until Ohio State lost, I think is also a how do they view these teams in a way, especially once Ohio State was no longer the number one team in the country because their resume wasn't as impressive as Georgia's. Yes. However, I'm going to say two things. Number one, I actually think Washington should have been ahead of Ohio State and Michigan going into the game. Like, again, if you're voting on resume, like they had they had piled up more ranked wins at that point. And then they went and beat Washington State last week. So that was another Mm -hmm. one that they were adding on that Ohio State doesn't have. So, yes, possibly you're you're correct. But. As long as. the, The thing that I think changes it is what you said before, I think they did put Oregon there. And we we put these like agendas on them that maybe they do or don't have. But by putting Oregon at five, I think you are signaling, well, one of these two Pac-12 teams is getting in over Ohio State. I don't know why you felt like you needed to signal that, because if you would just put Ohio State at five and then Oregon beats Washington, you have every data point you need. You have every excuse you need to just jump them over Ohio State. Nobody would argue with that, really. You the one one lost Pac-12 champion. I mean, some people would argue with it, but. They'd have a very logical reason to do it. Like, why you wouldn't just leave Oregon at six? But now, I think you've locked yourself in. Because now, if Oregon beats Washington, I think you're right. That, that Oregon's definitely in. And whether whether Oregon falls above or below Ohio State at that point probably won't matter. So, the going through this, the line on the Oregon game, Oregon's nine and a half point favorites. 
the long shot for Buckeye fans you're going to have to root for is Oklahoma State, Texas. Oklahoma's 15 point underdog in that game. Ooh. And I think you probably need Oklahoma State to win that game. Um, I guess there is an argument if, you know, you're at a you're at a decision between four and five. All right. Do you take 11 and one Ohio State who lost to a team that's in the playoff? Or do you take a team that won its conference, but lost to a team who's not in the playoff? That's kind of the debate. So I guess, I mean, if you really want to stretch it, you could say that that one could be the argument. Um, but then you definitely need Georgia to beat Alabama. Georgia's five and a half point favorites for that one. And then the uh, the most logical one would be Louisville over Florida State. Uh, Florida State is two and a half point favorites. Uh, so if anybody's curious out there, just kind of odds you're talking here. If you wanted to parlay all those teams to win, that three-leg parlay, uh, Louisville, Georgia, and Oklahoma State, $10 pays out $189.34. So $189. So that's the kind of odds that you're talking about. This is not a great, not a great, look for Ohio State going into conference championship weekend. The problem is you don't want to I don't I guess it doesn't really matter because we're getting rid of this 14 playoff anyway and it's literally going to be the last rankings but you can't you can't leave out a one loss conference champ because you want to put in a one loss non-conference champ especially the one loss non-conference champ who didn't even get to his Big Ten championship game which as you've written Nathan and we've talked about at length if the Big Ten didn't have these divisions it wouldn't be a problem here Ohio State would still be playing again this weekend but that's not the reality they get to live in right now and so it's just I think that is the tough one Andrew I think that's the tough one the Texas Oklahoma State game might be the one that ends up throwing all of this off and by the nighttime we might know if Ohio state's got a chance of getting into the playoff or not. Yeah. Because I don't like, know that that's ever happened that they've left out a one loss conference champion no. for a one loss non-conference that one well, lost team that didn't even make its conference championship. Like, I don't know that that has yeah. happened. Those teams have made the playoff, including last year with Ohio state. I don't know that that's ever happened in it in that head to head way. The closest was in 2014 you had one loss conference champions, co-champions from the Big 12, because the Big 12 didn't have a way to break that tie with a conference championship game at the time. It's mm-hmm. a little bit reminiscent of, like, they dragged their feet on that, or I guess they maybe didn't even have enough teams at the time. Like, they, they kind of putzed around and cost themselves a playoff spot, and the Big 10 might be doing the same thing right now by not having gotten rid of divisions when everybody else was doing it. Yeah, and I think with Texas, the Texas argument... I don't think it's insane to say that it it could come down to the SEC title game a little bit because if like if Texas beats Oklahoma State, which like I said they're favored to do fairly significantly, if Texas beats Oklahoma State, you know, 31-28 and it's a close game and then Alabama plays Georgia and Alabama loses like Alabama beat Georgia a couple of years ago, like if Alabama loses something like 45 to 17 or 20 like if Alabama just gets boat raced that does take away from Texas's big win right like no but it doesn't if you still won your conference championship if you still won your conference sure but I don't like I do think that it might diminish the win a little bit because then what is then what is Texas's best win you're talking a 15 they held up a trophy a what? But they held up a trophy at the that end of the held, year, sure. and one, the yeah. other team didn't. I, I, again, I t- I totally I guess, agree I, with you. I, I think the I think when one team has a college has a conference championship and the other one doesn't, and they have the same record, 
the resumes, all that stuff doesn't matter because the most important thing on the resume is one team won their conference and the other one did. But so they but, they need Oklahoma State to probably pull off a, what's a fifteen point impossibility right now. Yeah. But I will say this: the um, the Bill Hancock, who's the executive director of the of the playoff, was at, kind of clarified this last night that like the idea of like most deserving, like the things that I talk about a lot with like resume and stuff, is actually not in the committee's. What did he say? It's like not in their purview, not in their parlance, something like that. He's one of those fancy words. And that it's just about picking the best. You don't have to worry about who deserves it most. You pick the best. And that is that is the case for Ohio State to still get in. Because I don't think that, like we talked about yesterday on one of the non-rapid, rapid-fire pieces. Like Ohio State would be favored not just on a neutral field against pretty much all of the teams we're talking about, except I think Oregon was the only one, right? Was the only one that they weren't, and and, and maybe Michigan, Michigan at this point. Um, they would be favored on the road against some of these teams that are more seem have a better path, like a more secure path to get in. And if I can figure that out, and everybody can figure that out, then the committee can figure it out too. So I guess we can't. A thousand percent assume. I guess I would not dismiss the idea that Louisville upsets Florida State. Washington beats Oregon. And then Alabama and Texas, even if they win, don't jump Ohio State. That might be out there. Because the committee also may be... The committee may also... want Not want to face the controversy of putting... Alabama in over Texas, even though Texas beat them head to head. This is an easier out for them, yep. right? Because even if Alabama just beat Georgia and that's this huge win, well, Texas beat them head to head. So if you don't want to deal with everybody saying SEC bias and you guys are nuts, like why does Alabama get in over Texas at that point? Even if that's what you really want to do as the committee, maybe you just push Ohio State up there and say, well, let's do it. Let's do a let's do a rematch. The only thing with the that though, really the, does not want Alabama to win on Saturday. No, I, 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 that's what. If you ask, if you ask them off the record, off to the side, hey, top three things you hope don't happen this weekend. Number one by a yeah. landslide is Alabama beating Texas. Be, I beating want Georgia chaos. just because of that reason alone. <laughs> the that here's, reason alone. The argument re- though against that is if Alabama beats Georgia. They're not staying behind Ohio State because that would mean that Georgia would stay above Ohio State. So, like one of the, who, the, like some Georgia or Alabama is going to be ahead of Ohio State uh, after yeah, yeah. after this that's weekend. True. So oh, that's yeah. true. That's Alabama, true. That's true. yeah, Alabama had like so. I I understand the that's true the disaster scenario, but Alabama winning, they're jumping Ohio State because. It, like Georgia, you could say falls behind Ohio State or what. However, you want to put that, Alabama winning means that some SEC team, insert red SEC yeah, yeah, yeah. team here, is going to be above Ohio. So then, State. so yeah. then, but but then, that, ahead, what I was saying still sort of applies. So let's take Alabama off the board. Now it's just Florida State loses, Washington beats Oregon, and Texas wins. Texas is seven, Ohio State is six. Does that automatically mean that Texas jumps Ohio State? And that's the one that I'm maybe least convinced of the certainty of it. Yeah. I think it's possible. Yeah, Alabama why would definitely slide Alabama why would definitely yeah. yeah, why isn't Texas six right now? That's almost 
And I don't know if that got asked that's on Tuesday evening, but fair. that's the real question here. Because as much as I just push back, Andrew, on that, it's y'all made a good point. Why is Ohio State not seven and Texas is six? Because I think the committee think the committee knows who I I think the committee knows who the best four teams are in college yeah. football. I think they know. But this has to play out. The games have yeah. to be played. Yeah. So the one that's the one mm. that's the worst outcome for Ohio State is the ACC. Like if Florida State just wins that and now they've blocked yeah. a one then off by over. being an undefeated conference champion. It's kind of over because I think you're right. They're putting a Pac-12 team in regardless. Michigan would stay ahead of them regardless, and the SEC gets in ahead of them regardless. It kind of all comes down to the ACC. If if somebody doesn't, if Louisville doesn't win that game, and it's curious and it's interesting that it's Louisville because that we can talk about what happens if Ohio State doesn't make the playoff. Louisville's very involved in that. Um, then I think it's over. I think it, it's kind of over. Like all those other things would help too. But that's the most – if that one doesn't fall, then the others don't matter. Man, that would be that would be a crazy Saturday night too because, like, I understand the argument yep. of, like, well, Washington beating Oregon would be – would make it cleaner and it would make it just kind of – so, like, let's say that happens and at noon, Ohio State fans kind of – you know, you get your morning coffee, you kind of putz around a little bit. Ah, probably not going to happen. And Oklahoma State wins – and then you get into the four o'clock window and Bama or Bama loses to Georgia. That eight o'clock window would be great for Ohio State fans because one, you don't have to watch Michigan hoist the Big Ten championship. You don't have to do any of that. You can just ignore it. That doesn't exist to you. And then you can just throw the L's up, baby, and root for the Cardinals to beat Florida State. So that that eight o'clock window, it would just be kind of a fun build throughout the day because, like, you're right. All the like that because and that would also be the biggest gut punch for Ohio State fans too. Washington beats Oregon, Oklahoma State beats Texas, uh, Alabama beats Georgia, and then you get to the eight o'clock window and Florida State wins, and it's like, oh, well, the playoffs: Georgia, Michigan, Washington, and Florida State. So here's the schedule: Friday night on ABC, eight o'clock Eastern Time, Oregon versus Washington in Las Vegas. Shout out. Saturday, starting at noon, Texas versus Oklahoma State in Arlington, Texas, also on ABC. At 4 o'clock on CBS, 4 p.m. Eastern Time in Atlanta. Georgia spends a lot of time playing in Atlanta, man. Alabama versus Georgia. And then, listen, if you just want a quick break real quick and just clean your palate and you want to watch Tulane play SMU on ABC at 4 o'clock, you can do that, too. You know, just clean your palate. And then... Oh, Michigan plays Iowa on Fox at 8 p.m. And then, as Andrew mentioned, ABC at 8, 8 o'clock Eastern time, Florida State versus Louisville in Charlotte, North Carolina. Those are the important games to Ohio State this week. And one more question, and I'll, we'll get up out of here. Because I mentioned at the beginning of the spot how Ohio State's performance in that Peach Bowl, even in a loss, Nathan, drastically changed the way people viewed last year and how people viewed going into that offseason. Regardless of what happens, this team is going to look very different next year. They still lost to Michigan, and there's still some frustrations around some decisions Ryan Day has made, both in that game and then also within the staff. But if Ohio State backdoors its way into the college football playoff again, I mean, does it change how people can potentially view how this season went and how people feel about where this program is headed heading into the offseason? Yeah, of course. 
I think of course it could. It doesn't mean they're going to be happy about having lost three to Michigan. They weren't happy about having lost two to Michigan last year, and they're going to be less happy about it this mm-hmm. year. But if you get in the playoff, and this year you beat Georgia, because that game won't be in Atlanta. It'll be in New Orleans. It'll still be in the South, but it won't be in Atlanta. And then you get another shot at Michigan and beat them, or you beat um, the team that beats Michigan, um, and you win a national championship. Like again, like yeah, it, it it's gonna still it's gonna be a weird thing to to confront, but it absolutely changes the way you think about the season because you get to say you're right, we weren't good enough on that day, but we still went out and proved by winning two more games that we were the best team in college football is what a fan could say. Uh, I, I think it absolutely changes things. Now, I I do think it's important though that we talk about it in that context that it's about getting into the playoff mm-hmm. because. The 2021 season where they don't make the playoff and you go win the Rose Bowl in this crazy high scoring game against Utah, that didn't really change the way people thought about that team. It made them intrigued about the future. Stroud throwing to this these guys who are already starting to prove themselves like that made them intrigued by that. But it didn't make that season feel any more like an accomplishment, I don't think. So if what happens, you know, we should talk about what else could happen for Ohio State. The most likely thing being if they don't make the playoff is probably going to the Orange Bowl. The Orange Bowl is a yep. ACC champion or the highest ACC team that doesn't make the playoff is locked in there. Either way, that's probably going to be Louisville because either Florida State makes the playoff or yep. or Louisville beats Florida State. I guess in that case, it could be Florida State that they play. But, but well, no, no, it would, no, no, it has to be the ACC champion. Has to be the ACC champion. You're right. Yeah. So it's either going to be Florida State or it's it's going to be Louisville. Either Florida State wins and goes to the playoff, or Louisville wins. They're the ACC champ. That's who Ohio State would play. And then then it's either that team against the top ranked Big Ten or SEC team that doesn't make the playoff. And there are obviously some scenarios where, especially Alabama, could beat Georgia, and then I guess not make the playoff. They would, but I don't know how that would happen. Yeah. I guess in that case, it would be would knocking they send Georgia them to the Peach Bowl, though. It would be knocking Georgia all the way out of the playoff. Well, no. So here's the thing: if if you, so I'm sorry, it would, I don't think the Peach Bowl has saying, a conference tie-in. Okay, I don't think the Cotton Peach or Fiesta have conference tie-ins. I could be wrong about that, but I think they are all kind of okay. wide open. Um, but I actually, it it sounds implausible that Alabama would beat Georgia. And that would knock Georgia all the way out. I think you're probably getting two SEC teams in at that point. So that's bad news for maybe a very deserving team. That's maybe the scenario where Florida State doesn't get in if Michigan and Washington both win. That's where it gets really hairy for the committee. Good luck, guys. That's why this shouldn't just be four teams. But if there's so there are scenarios, but the most likely scenario is if chalk plays out, Ohio State is the team that's going to go to the Orange Bowl. If it's not the Orange Bowl, then it could be any one of Cotton Fiesta or Peach. Peach is, I think, the least likely because they were just there last year and they like to mix these things up. Cotton is the ones they've been to the least recently. That was uh, 2017 against USC. People probably remember. Fiesta is the one where they have a pretty rich history, though. They won there in 03, 04, 06, 2015. Obviously, some losses in there as well. 2016, 2019 semifinals. So they've been there frequently. I don't know if that would be a... um, It would be a a drawing card that they've been there so often. I don't know which one I would guess is more likely between Cotton or Fiesta, but I think that's it's one of those two if for some reason the Orange Bowl doesn't work out. So this is all information we'll find out on Saturday and Sunday. Like I said, there's 
not going to be a pod on Friday. This will be the last time you hear our voices between now and Sunday when, regardless of what happens, we're expected to talk to unless, Friday on Sunday. More I just want to say unless, unless, unless there are coaching decisions that affect Ohio State, either internally or externally, that, um, that affect things. We're on the, we're, we're, our ears are open for staff changes. Yeah, but what's, oh, as in when, or how early we would talk to Ryan Day or just no, how, it's we how early we might do a podcast if we feel like it's worth talking to our, our, our listeners oh, about yeah, what yeah, had yeah, just yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If like, if, I'm just saying we yeah, would yeah, like big do time a short emergency pod if there's a significant staff change. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Anything, yes. This is the last planned, as of right now, planned pod. Obviously, things can change because, Listen, this is college football sports. This is what we do for a living. But the plan as of right now is to not do another pod until Sunday after the college football playoff announcements when Ryan Day, regardless of whether they get in or not, we're expected to talk with him on Sunday. Get the text, 614-350-3315. We'll probably be sending texts during these games on Friday and Saturday. And we'll definitely be sending texts when we get news of where Ohio State's going. All news, all analysis, all con- everything goes to your phone first. Before it goes anywhere else, 614-350-3315. So for Nathan Barrett, for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.